Well, hey, everyone. Welcome to the Eagle Brook Church Leadership Podcast. My name is John Alexander, and I'm here with my co-host, Don. I care deeply about you. How are you doing? John, this is a, a big day. I mean, you're sitting in the same room as me. Socially know? distant. Distant. I mean, you're sitting all the way over there, but yeah. I, I could throw something at you. Uh, but we have not... When's the last time that we were in the same room? I'm going to say March 2020. Yep. Exactly. It's I been think that that's long. It. Uh, yeah. that's... At least in the same room doing the podcast yes. together. We've yes, seen yes. each other in other ways, we have seen but other. yeah. But yeah. It's good to be together, though. Yeah, How about here, you? How here about we you? are, 2021. Yeah. And by the time you're listening to this, it's February, and we're officially out of 2020. I mean, it feels like, okay, what's what's God going to do in 2021? It's, it is a different feeling. It is. We've <laughs> turned the page. We're on to a new year, new ideas, new concepts, and we got a new podcast. Yeah, we do. And it's going to be fun. You know, one of the things this season specifically has highlighted is the need for innovation more than ever. Uh, businesses, organizations, companies, and churches were forced to innovate or, and not to be too extreme, or die or cease to exist. Um, I've heard so many leaders, so many leaders. We've had these conversations. I've talked to other pastors, other leaders, um, other people in, in other organizations, process that that COVID has really expedited what was already happening in the world. And one of the phrases I've heard is that the future is here. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. Not necessarily the future. <laughs> um, I don't have much to say about the future at this point, but we are going to talk about innovation. And this isn't just in or out of seasons where COVID-19 is running rampant. Um, this is really the need for innovation in every season. And so Don, let's talk about innovation within our context. My first question to you is, has innovation been easy for us here at Eagle Brook Church? Yeah. Uh, no is the answer. <laughs> I wish I could you say. You did say yeah first. I but did say yeah, yeah first, but the real answer is no. I mean, because uh, so maybe it's obvious that innovation is difficult in every organization. I think it's always a tension that you have to manage. And so, you know, we are a large church. I mean, we have nine, nine different campuses and we're trying to keep everybody aligned and on the same page. So to get every... Everybody align going the same direction, but also allow for room, allow room for innovation. It's it's complicated. And, you know, we've talked about this in a, a past podcast, but maybe just a quick refresher is that I did a little teaching, I don't know, five, six months ago about cheese balls. And I've received many comments from the cheese ball teaching. <laughs> I now often get dubbed as the cheese ball guy. Oh I actually go places where people give me cheese balls, oh hold up cheese balls in Zoom conversations. Somebody sent me an article about a truck of cheese balls that got dumped out on a highway somewhere. So <laughs> cheese balls have kind of followed me from that one little analogy. Uh, but what I love about the cheese ball analogy is it kind of brings a chuckle, but it's actually a pretty serious uh, philosophy that we work with here at Eagle Brook. And so just a quick review... Uh, for people that haven't listened to that before, we, we, we talk about if we had nine different kids pastors and they were all given the task to go get a snack for the upcoming weekend, you know, how would they go about that? And there's one way you could do it where all nine kids pastors can go to nine different places and pick out nine different snacks and bring them on the weekend. And there's some, there's some good to that. 
uh, because it allows for spontaneity and it allows for uh, a sense of ownership and maybe creativity. And so some of those kids pastors would go to Target or Sam's Club. Maybe some would try to get a specialty item at Lunds and Byerly's or Kowalski's. Uh, you know, and so some kids pastors would get Doritos and some would get, uh, you know, vegetables. So who knows what they would get, but you'd have nine different choices. And again, there's a lot of good to that, but the bad of that system is that you have all this time of kids pastors running from one store to the next. Uh, you think about the mileage factor of what the mileage is that these people are burning. The inconsistency and the quality is all up uh, for question. But what we've decided is to not do that anymore, although there's, again, good and bad to that system, we've decided to do it differently where we're going to hire a 10th person to make that decision. So in the kids' pastor analogy, let's just say they pick out a massive thing of cheese balls, and that's the, the snack for all nine campuses. Each campus essentially gets a bin or a bowl, and that uh, lead person fills up all of the campuses' bowl with cheese balls, and that's the snack that's going to be given at each campus. Now, there's good and there's bad to that, too. The good is that it saves time for each of those people. There's quality control. There's consistency. Uh, maybe you'll build up trust a little quicker. And that allows pastors to go focus on other things. They don't have to worry about cheese balls anymore. So there's a lot of pros to that. But there are some negatives to it where maybe it isn't as creative. There's a lack of spontaneity. You can't just pick that up on the way to church anymore. And there might be a sense that they lose some ownership in that. So the cheese ball model you know, has both positives and strengths. And one of the pieces of feedback I've gotten on that is sometimes the, even the cheese ball analogy, analogy can feel like it's undermining the, the complication of the cheese ball. You know, like to come up with the cheese ball, it takes a lot of work, you know, because obviously we're not just talking about cheese balls. We're talking about systems. We're talking about even music choices. You know, we now have the same set at all nine locations. So that's kind of a cheese ball that's been decided. And we should never undermine you know, the difficulty of coming up with a cheese ball. It's the people that came up with those cheese balls worked hard at that. And then we at the campus, which is what I represent, uh, we implement those things. And so how do we implement them in a system that really is uh, what we've even said on a scale of one to 10, we've said we're really more of a nine on the sense of control. So there's less flexibility in our system. There isn't, we are a nine. And so how do we operate uh, as a system and how do we have innovation at the same time? Hmm. And so if I could just tell you a quick story to yeah. kind of set us up, uh, because I think that this will, will tell you a little bit about my personality. Because when I teach about cheese balls, the reason I have to teach about that is because it's been my own personal discovery in my leadership. It's not even like I'm saying, I want everybody to understand that. It's just like, this is how I've come to understand the system in which we live in here at Eagle Brook. Because I grew up outside Chicago, and my dad was a successful traveling businessman who was gone quite a bit of the time, but he'd come home on weekends. And part of the reasons he'd come home on weekends is so we could go to Chicago Bears games. Now, I grew up in the 80s, so anybody that knows anything about the history of the Bears in the 80s, they know it's the glory days. <laughs> and we in Chicago still think that Walter Payton, you know, you know, was the ultimate running back. Jim McMahon should still be the quarterback and Mike Ditka should still be the coach. I mean, the whole lineup... We still do the Super Bowl shuffle. You know, we still think that we're there. Uh, but what we realize is that those days have gone, and that was the time that my dad would bring me to games. And we'd go to baseball games too, by, by the way. And when we went to, to games, we'd show up, and there would be a person that was trying to park you in a parking lot, and they would have an orange flag. 
Now, the orange flag would often come in and say, okay, go to the left, go to the left. And my dad notoriously would go to the right. Now, this would just appall my mom. She eventually wouldn't go to games with us anymore because my dad would always go the opposite way of the flag, or at least sometimes go the opposite way. And then as soon as we went into the arena, we'd start looking for other seats. Oh, there's a seat down behind the bench. There's a seat closer to the catcher or whatever. And then we'd move seats. And so I grew up with that. And maybe that says something about me. Yeah, you know? yeah it does. And, and my dad is kind of a good Chicago spirit who just kind of went the opposite way of the flag, found the seat that wasn't his. And so I grew up with that. And the reason I tell you that is because I've had to learn how to work within a system that's pretty highly controlled. And that can be a little bit against how I grew up, but I've grown to love the nine. Like I love the cheese ball model. And I fully embrace it, but I didn't naturally at first. Yeah. And so I have, I've had to learn how to grow it. And so if I were to say like my biggest leadership lesson in my 16 years here is learning the balance between submission and innovation. I've had to learn how to submit to the nine, but yet find ways to innovate. And that's why I've come up with what we're going to talk about today is to find practical ways that people can innovate even within a high control environment. Mm. That's great, man. Such fun background. It does say a lot about you to hear that story about your dad. Now I see where you get it. That's yeah. uh, that's really helpful. And just to tee you up on where we're heading next, and I love the way you set us up, but you re- recently took the campus pastors who lead our nine campus teams through these um, seven steps to building innovation within our organization. Now, these are people who are operating within a cheese ball organization. Mm-hmm they are not the ones typically deciding the cheese balls. Right. And so you are actually teaching campus pastors, which is, um, and and the position they have in our organization, which probably applies to a majority of people. They're on the receiving end of the cheese ball decision. Still, you're challenging them how they can innovate and mm-hmm. you're teaching them they still can innovate because innovation is absolutely critical. That's how we started this podcast by talking about how essential innovation is, especially for organizations, churches, and businesses to thrive in the future. So mm-hmm. with that being said, seven principles to building uh, innovation within an organization. Start with step one. What's the first one? Yeah. Yeah. And I'll, I'll just say, even as we're setting it up too, that that there is a, innovation is important and there's a right way to do it and there's a wrong way to do it. So it really matters on how you kind of thread this needle. And I've seen people try to innovate and it just doesn't go well. Sometimes we refer to this in the past as petting the cat backwards, you know, and a lot of times it starts with a good intention. Somebody wants to innovate and it just isn't working. So this was a real practical way that people can figure out how to innovate uh, really seven steps to that, as you, as you talked about. So let's go into step number one is to build trust. I just think that this is such a critical foundation for innovation. And now this is overstated, but I'll just use the hyperbole for a second here. I say, don't innovate in your first six months in a role. You know, you must fit the flow and add gas to the current fire and prove that you know and love the cheese ball system in which we live in here. And what I've learned Now, again, that's overstated. There are exceptions to that for sure. Uh, But I would say the people that I've seen grow in success here really show that they love what we do in those first six months. And then they kind of rise up eventually to say like, hey, there's a better way to do this. Have you ever thought about, can we consider this? But if they say that in their first month or two, 
Like, hey, are you sure you guys want to do it that way? I think I know a better way. What about that? Uh, it, their voices tend to get quieter, where voices that start even a little bit quieter in the beginning can get you know, more influential if they kind of prove that they can love and follow the system for a period of time. So building trust is such a critical thing. Uh, I've had some people ask me, how do I know uh, when I can innovate? And I say, well, you have to check your stock. You know, and the way you check your stock is to ask your supervisor, like, am I at a place where I can throw new ideas on the table or should I just kind of work the system for a while? And hopefully your supervisor is honest enough to tell you, yeah, I mean, you got an idea, let's go. Or you know what, you've brought four ideas in the past, you know, four days, we probably better cool it for a little while. And by the way, I'm guilty of that <laughs> yeah. sometimes. So yeah. that's part of why I've come up with this, this yeah. thinking. So Absolutely. Just to interject, I teach our new employee uh, session whenever we hire new employees. And we kind of go in cycles of every two months. And w- they go through a, a training um, full day of, of talks from kind of the leadership team. My session on making it better. And I always tell people the reason we don't want them to innovate in the first six months is that we don't want them to um, offend someone who's made that decision prior to them. Mm-hmm. Now, we are very much open to making things better. We're very much open to feedback. I think almost every leader in our organization is open to that. But what happens is when you start suggesting new innovative ideas, inevitably that feels like a shot at, well, your way wasn't good enough. Mm-hmm. But here's what people don't often realize. That decision was made somewhere down the line very intentionally with well thought through ideas and it can be offensive. So why not just wait, build trust, build relationships, seek to understand first Mm -hmm. before you start firing off innovative ideas. I think building trust um, is so essential. The way you do that is just laying low for the first six months, building that relationship, understanding the history, loving what's currently in place. And that's so hard to do for people because I think when you get hired into a new job, you kind of feel like you need to prove yourself. Exactly. And so they feel like, oh, I got this fresh idea for the system. And little do they know that, wait, we've tried that, you know, 10 times before. And it's okay just to kind of fit in with the stream for a while. And then you'll have that... uh, understanding, and even influence that you can bring up those new ideas. So, you know, uh, add gas to the fire of the system that you're working with when you first get hired. That's great. Principle one, build trust. All right, second principle, what is it? Uh, Well, we call it start with the banks on the river. And when we talk about banks on the river, uh, we talk about rather than just having a pool of water or a pond, what if you have two banks on a river, you create a, a flow, you create a river that has momentum. And the two things on the two different sides of the river for us, one is our vision culture, which we won't go into now because we've spent time on the past. And the other is our hedgehog, which we've also talked about. But these essentially bring us back to our vision, our purpose. And then even uh, throughout the hedgehog, again, we're talking about uh, what we're passionate about and uh, what it is that uh, brings ownership for us and what brings transformation. So it has to go through these uh, these filters. And once they go through the filters, then we can get a little mo- bit more focused on what strategies to move forward with. So it has to bring back, bring us back to the hedgehog. It has to bring us back to the vision culture. And if it doesn't, then let's not, let's not do it. Because there are a lot of, we just even heard this the other day, there's a lot of distractions out there. There's a lot of great things that we could do. And we have to say no to a lot of those great things so we can do the greatest things 
because we can only do so many things with our time. So make sure that it's pointing you back uh, to the vision culture of your organization. I would say, especially if you're here at Eagle Brook, it's got to uh, fit in the riverbanks with the vision culture and the hedgehog. Yeah, we have limited amount of time, energy, resource, and we want to be hyper-focused on the things that matter most. It is so easy. You said this, but I'm just going to repeat it. It is so easy to get distracted by shiny things Mm -hmm. that aren't going to help you accomplish very much. And I'm tempted by it every day. Our organization is tempted by it every day. But because of this principle, when it comes to innovation, the principle of, okay, is this fitting with our mission, vision, on one side, our purpose. On the other side, is this going to help us be um, lead lead to life transformation? Is it going to create owners within our organization? All those questions we ask, it helps us say no to many, many things. You don't hear about the things we say no to, mm-hmm. but we say no to a lot. And sometimes it offends people. Sometimes it's frustrating for people because where's the innovation when you're saying no? Listen, we want to innovate, but we want to innovate uh, between the banks of the river so we can be hyper-focused and really intentional with our very limited resources. Just fantastic principle. Uh, Step three, third principle, what is it? Yeah, this this is one that I've learned is so important, and I can maybe miss this one myself, is to make sure it resonates with your boss. Uh, You know, the most dangerous innovation is secretive innovation. You know, where you, I'm just going to try this over on the side and and if it works, then I'll kind of work the process and tell other people about it. And, and I see where that comes from because I'm guilty of that too. Like, oh, that, that, that idea came up to me kind of in the last minute, so I'm just going to give it a run. Uh, but what I found is that that doesn't usually work out well. I mean, that whole, <laughs> that whole idea of ask for permission or ask for forgiveness rather than asking for permission doesn't really work. I mean, you, you do want to ask for permission. You want to work the process. And so making sure that you have your boss on board is a, is a critical part of what we do. So, uh, you know, come up with a plan. And this is where I've talked about even something I call the loosely held proposal. And I just did this today that a campus pastor was giving me a new idea. And I said, put it on a one-page document and here's four questions I want you to answer that would really bring forward a loosely held proposal and then loosely is, is a key word in there, by the way, because you have to be prepared to hear the word no. And good innovation isn't always your first idea. And so it's okay to throw multiple ideas in there before you, as long as you don't wear out your boss, which is something we should maybe talk more <laughs> about. Uh, but make sure that your boss is on board with it before you go any further. And loosely held proposal is a way that I've just kind of made a synopsis of a one-page summary that, hey, this is an idea I'm thinking about that we can go after uh, here it is. What do you think? And if your boss is on board, well, that that actually takes us to step number four, yeah. if I can, which Go is ahead. to bring other appropriate people on board. And what I've even come down to is is in our world, if you're an Eagle Brook staffer, here's a here's a something to pay attention to: is you really want three people to sign off on an innovative idea. The first is your supervisor. Uh, the second is your central leader, assuming you're at the campus. So your supervisor, your central leader, and then an executive leader. So let's say we're talking about kids pastors. If a kids pastor has this new idea of, of a way they want to do kids ministry, they should make sure their campus pastor is on board, that Darcy, our kids director, is on board, and then either me or Ray should be on board. And if you have those three people in your back pocket, well, you have all the support you need. You know, And if you don't get one of those three people, you might want to reconsider doing that. Now, if you do it in secret, and then Jason Strand finds out about that and says, why did this kid's pastor do that? 
and you don't know, I don't know about it, well, then that kid's pastor is on their own. <laughs> you know, yeah. I can't support that. I can't be an advocate where, if, well, I knew they were trying this. Here's why they did it. This is what the intention was. Then I can be an advocate. But if I don't know, if somebody's doing innovation in secret, uh, that doesn't work well. So in our world, I would say those three checkoffs, a game changer. I mean, understanding those three permissions, uh, then you can kind of keep running with your your innovation. Yeah, that's fantastic. Man, there's times looking back over my career where I've done something that felt innovative and I was completely aligned with my supervisor, my boss. And those times, whether they failed or succeeded, um, were successful in that we were aligned together. Mm-hmm. And we don't, we don't um, whip people <laughs> yeah. for attempting to be innovative when they've done these steps. You know, that that just means lots of people have signed off on them and we're all kind of in this together. And oh, well, we learned from that mistake. Mm-hmm. But where people get into trouble is when they go out and be innovative without that support. It's fantastically said, of course, which leads to um, the fifth step and mm-hmm. having the right timing with this, right? Yeah, right. I mean, there's gotta be, you gotta do this in the right season, the right time. Yeah. Say more about that. Yeah, we don't need to spend a ton, ton of time on these these next three here, but but- you can have a great idea and have it be in a, a bad timing situation and it therefore is a bad idea. So you need to make sure if you're coming out with a brand, brand new idea, you, you might not want to launch that before Christmas or Easter in yeah. our context. Now, that seems obvious to us, but it might not be to others. And, and here's what I also have realized is I've had to learn how to do better ripple management <laughs> because... I often can make a decision and didn't realize like, oh, that means that person's going to have to come in early. That means that person's going to have to turn that thing on. That means that person's going to have to stay up late. And I was like, oh, I I had no idea that it had that kind of pain factor to it. So it might have been a good idea, but maybe it should happen a month from now rather than tomorrow. And so making sure that you have the right timing to work things out and, and realize that sometimes your silo is a little blinded because you don't realize like, oh, John was trying something over here. Ray was trying something over here or or somebody else was, you know, trying to launch something at the same time. So just make sure that you check in. And that's why getting those three checkoffs, I think kind of helps in our system to make sure that others are looking over your shoulder to say, yeah, now's a good time to do that. Or let's wait till next fall to give that a shot. Exactly. All right. I don't have much to say on that. So step six. Yeah. Well, step six is just execute. And, And maybe the one thing I'll say about this is, is no one loves a good idea like me. I mean, I love new ideas. Uh, maybe at a detriment, I wake up with ideas. I mean, ideas are recreational for me. And uh, that can be a good thing and it can be a bad thing. But I don't always even move to execution. So if you've done the work of getting these people on board, you know, you've, you've played all the steps that we're talking about so far, so far, by all means, you know, execute the plan and do it in a really in an excellent fashion so that we can really see if the new idea is going to work. So anyway, step number six is execute it. Go ahead and go go get it done if you've done all those other steps. Yeah, and oftentimes when it comes to executing the innovative idea, you might not be the person who's the primary uh, person who's executing the idea. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, right. that's also a part of, and that happens a lot of times within our church. I'm sure it happens a lot of times in other organizations where there's been this innovative idea and then you need, because be, because you don't necessarily have the skill set to make it happen, you're going to need several other people to um, to complete that idea. And so just as a reminder for people, ec- the idea isn't, isn't um, complete <laughs> until it's been executed. Mm-hmm. You know, the idea is a great start, 
but then you need to do the hard work of making it happen. Yep. And it might not be just you. It has to be you working through other people. Mm-hmm. And that can be exhausting. It's actually easier to do it all yourself. I mean, if you have the skills to do some of those things that you have ideas for, mm-hmm. it's easier to do that. It's much more difficult to bring along several other people that are executing idea. For us, one of those things that that comes to mind is uh, times we lead through big projects for Christmas and Easter and um, fall kickoff. We call them our big three weekends. And there's lots of in- innovative ideas. People are brainstorming, coming up with those ideas. Then there's lots of people who need to be on board. They get the supervisors involved, making sure that our senior pastor feels good about it. But then execution requires oftentimes dozens, if not you know, a few hundred people Mm -hmm. to execute this idea. And all started with one or two people who had these innovative ideas. And as they go along, they still have to complete it all the way to the end. And so I guess I'm just reminding us that, that you have to sprint through the finish line. Yeah. Yeah. It's more, (laughs) go ahead. you, You can't let, you know, you can't let up as you get towards the end or you're about to hand off the baton. You got to sprint through and finish it out. It's just, Critical. Yeah, that's, that, critical. that's not as fun for me as weird. I mean, I love that the beginning part of everything we're talking about. When I when the execution phase, I start to lose energy. You know, so you're right. If you're going to innovate, you got to carry it all the way through that final through that sixth step. And the seventh step is just report back. You know, report back on how things went. And in our context, we're trying to think: is it repeatable? You know, it might be something that landed really well at one site, but is this something that we'd be able to? make as a best practice at other locations. And by the way, that's how we're going to get better, which is back to your beginning comments. That's why innovation is critical, is if something happens uh, and is a success at one location, then by all means, let's move it to to all of our other locations as well, which is why we have to do the system really well. You can't just innovate alone. Yes, absolutely. All right, let, let's talk. That That's really fantastic, by the way, um, those seven principles to building innovation but what are some specific examples? And we've talked about some as we've gone through, but what are some specific examples of innovation happening just even in the last couple of years at Eagle Brook Church? Yeah, I mean, these are relatively fresh and we we do have a lot of examples. I mean, and I often, you know, we can lose sight of all these different uh, initiatives that we have innovated on because, you know, they get adapted into the system pretty quickly and you forget all the work that went into it. But Leadership X is one of them. Uh, man, we, we should... We, we have spent a podcast on Leadership X. I was just going to say we should spend more time on this one, but but that really came up at a campus pastor retreat. You know, we knew that we need to find better ways to build the bench and how we need to strengthen our volunteers. And so when we were away at a retreat, Steve Wicker was already kind of doing something a bit as a pilot at, a, at the Spring Lake Park campus. And then we all adapted that and now apply it to all nine locations where we all select a small group of leaders who are getting trained as our highest level volunteers. And it's been outstanding for us. Just, we just love the Leadership X initiative. That's just, uh, that's just one of them. Another is, uh, well, think, speaking of Steve Wicker, when he went to Rochester to open up the Rochester location, uh, he decided that he was going to bring our orientation class, we call it Closer Look, uh, where people learn about vision culture. And he was just going to take a, essentially uh, put it in the back of his car. He was going to throw a whiteboard and a a PowerPoint, and he was going to go to all different living rooms, and whoever would invite him in, he'd share the vision culture with. He'd share closer look, and essentially invite them, you know, to engage in this vision culture of ours. I just love that idea. But he worked with me, he worked with others, and then brought that uh, to living rooms all over Rochester. I thought that was 
just such an innovative idea. Uh, another one that we've just recently added in a year now, maybe we've done the hiring event, which is something that we really stole from Life Church. Which, by the way, innovation doesn't have to happen out of your own brain. No, I mean if you, we do this all the time. We're watching other churches. We take their ideas and then you know we adapt them to our context. But Life Church does this hiring event. We've now embraced it, where once every two months we have kind of a larger pocket of of candidates that go through some prior work and then they show up and they do a campus uh, tour and they get to know the leadership team and then they end up in a bombardment of interviews essentially for two days. So it all collapses instead of just doing higher uh, interviews every other day like you and I were doing, you know, two or three a week, we now consolidate it into a two-day experience. It's been an awesome uh, innovation that's taken root here for over a year now. And then the key leader meetings is just one last one where at Lionel Lakes, they were bringing together their top level volunteers once a quarter to train them, equip them, love them. And they were doing that for a year or two. And then every other campus jumped on board. And now that's an expectation at every campus that they have key leader meetings three to four times a year. Mm. So those are just a few I could keep going. I have actually a whole list in front of me, but uh, those are some ideas of how something starts at one campus and ends up moving to other campuses. Yeah. Okay. Final question for you. Now, Someone's listening to this. They're fired up to go innovate. They're ready to go. I mean, okay, I'm going to work this plan. I'm going to work these principles. I'm going to, I'm going to pursue innovation within my church, with my, in my organization, in my team. My question to you is, (laughs) are you saying that everyone should get up out of their chairs and go innovate right here and now? Uh, No. (laughs) not to burst your bubble. Yeah, no, no. And it's a good question that we just should end with and make sure that we're clear is that, well, at least in our Eagle Brook world here, uh, things work pretty well. I mean, and so there are always those little areas to make it better. And by the way, I think make it better is a relative of innovation. I think that they're close to each other, but they're slightly different. We should be looking for ways to make things better on a daily basis, really. But this, what we're talking about in this podcast is a little more about innovation. And so I would fail you if everybody left this podcast and started writing down a one-page loosely held proposal that they want to change something or make something even better at our context or any context for that matter. But I do think that if those for those people do that do have an idea that they want to push forward, that now you have a little bit more of a of a strategic way to go about that. You know, if you think about these seven steps that we were talking about, maybe that will help your idea to go a little further. Uh, and so this is really to help you thread the needle. If you're one of those people that has that idea, and by the way, I do think they're probably more rare than common. And so I don't think anybody should feel when they you know, unplug from this, like, I got to go do that or I'm failing. Uh, That's not the case is if you don't innovate, that's okay. But if you feel the place and the idea that you want to get some traction with, hopefully this will help you. And just maybe lastly with this is it, it, it is difficult for supervisors to say no to ideas sometimes Uh, is that you can wear out your supervisor. So if you bring out a forward, a loosely held proposal on a regular basis and they have to say no to you, they're going to wear out. And I've learned that uh, you have to kind of know which one you're going to actually chase down, which idea you're going to really pursue. Uh, and some, some bosses are okay just saying no, no, no. 
you're good with me on that. You, you say no to my <laughs> yeah, ideas yeah, all the time. Yeah. And you don't seem to be too bothered by it. But No, I don't. Uh, but some supervisors, not that you're my supervisor, but some supervisors really do struggle with giving no's. So just keep that in mind is, you know, do this well, mm -hmm. do innovation well, and love the cheese ball system, yeah. love the structure. You can do both. And then I think the organization here at Eagle Brook, any organization will continue to get better. Yeah. And it's also just okay to enjoy eating the cheese balls it's okay. and receiving. I mean, <laughs> and I love when somebody says, I want more cheese. You're like, actually, I'm looking for more direction. And, yeah. and we do get that. Yeah. Is, hey, just make this clear. Tell me what you want me to do and I'm ready to implement it. Yeah. So, so you do get all different uh, people on all different parts of the range of innovation and just wanting to pursue the cheese ball. So yeah. Yep. There you go. Fantastic stuff, Don. Thanks for that. Thanks for teaching us how to, how all to all innovate within our organizations, within our churches. Just really appreciate those seven principles. But that's all we got for this episode of the Eagleburg Church Leadership Podcast. We really do believe when leaders get better, the church gets better. Thanks for joining us. And we'll see you on the next episode of the Eagleburg Church Leadership Podcast. <laughs>